On today's episode, we meet the very interesting Suzanne Wainwright, aka Bug Lady. She is a very busy consultant and public speaker on beneficial insects and is a leading horticultural entomologist. She is so interesting, and we had quite a long chat starting with a discussion about conservation of native beneficials on small farms, soil nutrition and its effect on pests, the best method of managing pests on a small farm operation, and how to best identify insect problems or learn more about your insects. This is the first episode with Suzanne, and the rest of our interview will be available next in Part B. You know that most of my people are small farmers, market farmers, but they're mostly focused on organic methods. They don't want to introduce insecticides or herbicides. You're literally like the expert on beneficial insects. Yeah, okay. Yes. (laughs) So if you don't mind extrapolating a little bit and telling people like the scope of your business and then how you can maybe help people. Some people are ordering insects to address specific problems in crops or balance at their farm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, yeah, I I think that when you're dealing on, and I'll call it, you know, smaller scale, you know, where you're doing like an acre or two uh, kind of production, that we've been actually focusing quite a bit on conservation of native beneficials and how we can add other plants in, not do so much of a monoculture and actually even looking at uh, uh, nutrition too because we do know there's a correlation between you know nitrogen especially and some of the pest insects so sometimes even reducing fertilization can really help reduce some insect populations but something I've been working on with a lot of growers small and large is uh, they do a lot of transplants they'll often start small plants in the greenhouse and then um or or in trays and then transplant them out and what we're really focusing on is starting them clean so when we're in the seedling phase we're actually applying biocontrol agents there because it's really inexpensive to do they're easy to apply because the plants are all close together and this way when the plants get transplanted out they're starting clean and the beneficials are going with them because oftentimes what happens and I see this a lot with pepper transplants is they'll have them in a greenhouse because so you can control the you know temperatures and germination and everything and oftentimes that's when they pick up broad mite or spider mite or western flower thrips but people because the populations are so low on the plants you don't see any damage and then they go transplant them out and they don't notice it and then it slowly builds and then all of a sudden they've got a problem out in the field and it's something that could have been stopped early on. And once it's in the field, it's a lot more expensive and a lot more difficult to treat for. That makes sense. So are there specific insects that people can get to maintain balance be- right at the beginning without having to analyze what they have? Like, are there recommendations that you make? Well, I mean, if, if you're independently wealthy, sure, you know, you could put together a, a, a packet of an assortment of, you know, beneficial nematodes and uh, some of the predatory mites and even some parasitic wasps, but, you know, that's just a waste of money. And so what we do is we look, you know, we look at the crops and this is why I do a lot of on-site visits with my growers because you know, so I can identify what their pest issues are and uh, what, you know, what's around them. Are you next to a soybean field or are you next to an apartment complex? And look at the potential threat from neighboring pest populations. And then let's, let's, let's say something like peppers. Um, you know, we know peppers uh, can be prone to thrips issues. So oftentimes with pepper plants, uh, we'll use a predatory mite called cucumeris, which is pretty inexpensive to use 
use. It also feeds on broad mite, which is another big pest in peppers and ornamentals and actually in cannabis too. Um, So we can use this predatory mite. Again, it's inexpensive to use. It's produced um, by many companies, but there's actually a producer in California called Beneficial Insectary and you can get it from them in tubes or bags. They have different sizes and we basically just broadcast it over uh, the foliage of the plants and then the mites will go walk through the plants. Um, Then they will snack on like spider mite eggs if there's nothing else to feed on, but they're not really not a spider mite control. But if there happens to be a spider mite egg on there, they'll uh, feed on it. So cucumeris is one that we use in a lot of programs, uh, but we do have to watch temperatures because it doesn't like it really hot. But when you're doing seedlings, again, you're normally in a controlled environment and it's pretty much ideal for them. Now, do you deal with people who are beekeepers as well? Well, I actually, I used to be a beekeeper. Yay. Uh. Until the bears showed up twice and, and and this was the interesting thing. So whoever wrote Winnie the Pooh was wrong because the bears did not eat the honey. They ate the brood and I'm sure it was because they wanted protein. And so, yeah, so we were left with all this honey and no bees. (laughs) So interesting. Yeah. And when you were Uh, a beekeeper, did you have any problems with the mites? I didn't have any problems. Um, and I was pretty isolated. Um, I was lucky to get, um, uh, healthy bees to begin with. Um, and so I did not have any issues, uh, one year because we are really cold where we are. We did have some overwintering, but, uh, overwintering loss, but it's actually due to starvation. Mm -hmm. Um, not not because of varilla mites or the other there's other pathogens and other issues going on and we didn't deal with hive beetle uh yeah in fact we my my cousins who are alpaca farmers they have all our bee equipment now because we just we didn't want to have to deal with putting up electric fences and all that stuff out here one question i have about farmers who know that there's a bug problem they what are ways that they can figure out what they what problem they have well first of all I, and I'm just, I'm getting even more horrified by the internet by the day because of, especially Facebook, Go, getting stuff identified on Facebook is one of the worst things possible because I see so much wrong, bad information. I used to think that uh, you can do your job great even without going to college. I've, I've, I'm convinced there's certain fields and entomology is one of them. There's a reason why you go to school. You take all these ID classes, biology, physiology, and all that stuff is so that you can learn to identify things. And just looking at pictures and doing matchy-matchy is not necessarily a good way because there's a lot of mimicry that goes on in the insect world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's if you have a local extension agent, that is a good resource to go to. The other thing is knowing somebody that knows. Um, And they're actually, you know, there's several university people, and even though they're not in your state, if you can get them a good photo, they can can help you. And there are specialists in fields. It's, It's just like with doctors. One, you know, you do have general practitioners, but there's a lot of specialists out there. You know, you've got the baby doctor and the cancer doctor and the foot yeah. doctor and the skin doctor. Entomologists are the same way. And if you can find somebody like, I know one of my friends, she's an aphid specialist. I have another friend who's a fly specialist. And then even inside of that, I know people that are specialists in certain, certain families of flies. And if you can find those university people and get them decent pictures, then they could probably ID it for you because 
they, they're, they, people love, if you, if you work in insects, you love your job. That's I mean, so that's great. just, yeah. And so they're willing to help. You know, I, I try to help out as much as I can. Um, I get a little overwhelmed with the volumes of emails I get at times because, um, you know, if you work for the university, you're getting a paycheck no matter what. For me, working as a consultant, you know, I... A lot only, of the people, there's just no way you're, you're, they're going to be a profitable... Yeah. No, no, not at all. I mean, and I want to be able to help, but again, sometimes it can get overwhelming, but a good picture is really critical. And usually for photos, when you ask for help, where you are, like what county, what, you know, state, what the plant is, you know, that's really important. Also get multiple images of the insect and the damage, because like if with aphids, I need to see the space between the heads I need to see its butt. I need to see its legs. And so even though, you know, one shot may not be so artistic, but if you can focus on those different areas, and I really recommend anybody that needs to get an insect identified to buy themselves what's called a Dinolite, okay. uh, D-I-N-O-L-I-T-E. You can order them right off of Amazon. You know, they, they start at about $100, and you can pay as much as you want. But if you're in the $150 to $300 range, and it basically looks like a little ultrasound tube, and you plug it into your computer, your tablet, your uh, phone, and you can then take pictures right with it and get good enough magnification that I can actually see the insects. Because taking pictures often with just your cell phone is not usually good enough. And, and this is what I tell growers all the time. They're like, well, I don't have $150 to spend. Well, if you don't have to treat once or even twice, it's probably paid for itself. That tool is probably the most critical tool that anybody growing plants at this point can have because, you know, what if it's really a beneficial that's already eaten your pest problem, but you're going to go out there and try to kill it? And so you've got to know, and I, don't, I see that a lot. You won't believe how many professional growers spray to kill beneficial insects because they haven't identified them correctly. Very um, interesting. And, and how also, often with cannabis, because it's like a high, high dollar crop they're dealing with, they, you know, the whole crop comes at one point. So could all be, if something goes wrong, it, their whole business is shattered. Oh, with mums, poinsettias, I mean, all that stuff. You think about it with, with like poinsettias, you've got to have that timing just right. So they come to color right, you know, right around Thanksgiving. And, you know, with people doing all the flowers for Mother's Day, you've got to have them, you know, a few days before Mother's Day, just ready to pop in color. And if you have a problem and you lose that whole crop, you're in trouble. So that's why... You know, now so many commercial greenhouse operations, and I work with, you know, several large ones, we're doing all these preventative releases and propagation so the plants start clean, and then we continue the program through. It used to be in like the 80s and 90s and even the early aughts, we would be like, okay, well... We'll just spray, and then when the bugs start coming on, then, you know, we'll try to release beneficials to clean it up, and it doesn't work that way. You have to start clean from the beginning. I mean, it's, it's very interesting because it's very parallel to Europe and the United States, even the, the, the health system, because, you know, Europeans tend to be a little more proactive, and in the United States, we're more reactive. We'll wait till we get a problem and then try to hammer it with chemicals and pills Absolutely. and try to fix it instead of having a healthy diet and exercise and trying to head off problems. And so that's what we're trying to do now with the plants. 
watch you know the nutrient levels that go in put out the beneficials early when again it's more economical it's easier to do and so that we don't ever get the damage on the lungs subscribe to the get in my garden podcast on itunes and leave positive reviews if you like the show stay tuned for part b with suzanne wainwright coming up next